You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and we're coming to you on Friday, one day after the Giants concluded their 2021 mandatory minicamp. Today's show will kind of break down uh, what we saw at minicamp, impressions of the, the offseason season. You know, as we, uh, as we look forward to, uh, Giants 2021 training camp, here to help me do that is good friend Patricia Traina of Locked On Giants and Giants Country. Patty, how you doing today? Doing well, Ed. Great to talk to you again. I know it's uh there's a couple times lately that that we've managed to get together. It was uh it was nice to see some folks out at uh, out at minicamp the last few days. A uh, little bit of a uh, little bit of normalcy uh, for a couple days. Yeah, I was just going to say that it was great getting out there, you know, seeing some of the faces. Forget, you know, because I had forgotten what some of you guys had looked like, and and yes, some of you were still as ugly as ever. Just joking, just joking. <sighs> Patty, Patty, <laughs> Patty, you're not off to a good start today. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Hey, listen, it's Friday. Let's have fun. Oh, there you go. And, and speaking of it being Friday, I thought we would do a little, uh, we, we would kind of, kind of rewind a little bit to something that you and I used to do, uh, at Big Blue View and, and inside football. And, you know, we used to do a, a weekly sort of Friday five kind of thing where we, uh, where we answered questions. And, and I thought we would just do today's mini camp, uh, you know, sort of review. In, uh, in that sort of format. So what I'll do is I'll toss out some, some questions or some thoughts about players or topics. We'll go through five of them and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of give you my thought and, and, and I'll let you, uh, let you run with that and see, uh, and see how you feel about those as well. So, uh, you, you up for a little, uh, for a little, for a little old time stuff today, Patty? Sure. Why not? It's always fun to go down memory lane. There you go. There you go. Yeah, this is something we used to do quite a bit. So let's do that. Let's let's do it in in, in that format today. And, and the first thing I want to talk about is first round pick Kadarius Tony. Now, twentieth pick overall. Tony has has had a a weird spring. You know, from the shoe thing in rookie minicamp to sitting out of OTA of of the voluntary OTAs which rookies generally don't do especially since they're they're covered against injury um, 
via a, a participation waiver um, to the fact that he didn't make it through the first practice that we saw of minicamp on Tuesday, slipped to the ground, and then went you know went inside with a trainer. I mean, came back the next day and had a and had a pretty good practice. Missed Thursday because of an excused absence, family emergency. You know, that's that's something that that we've all been through. So so that to me, that's not a big deal. But but when I when I look at Kadarius Tony, I loved the move that the Giants made, the way that the draft worked out. I loved the move down from eleven to twenty, picking up extra picks. Love the skill set that Kadarius Tony provides. But there is just something about the way the spring has gone for the young man that leaves me with an uneasy feeling. And I don't know, Patty, I guess my, my question as we start is do you, do you share that sort of uneasy feeling ab- about Kadarius Tony or are you not, uh, not, not worried about the young man at this point? Well, I think I'm going to say yes and no. And the reason why I say yes is because I would have liked to have seen as much of him as possible just to say, okay, yeah, I'm excited about this kid. And we saw flashes here and there. With that said, I I, I gave some thought to this. And initially I was like, really, you know, oh, my God, we've got a problem here. But I gave some more thought to this. And my feeling is, is, is his agent, and, and I have no proof of this. This is just me, you know, taking a, an educated guess here. You gotta remember, uh, Jawan James out in Denver worked out on his own, um, you know, had an injury and he was cut and, and it, it was just a whole ugly mess. So if you're the agent of Kadarius Tony, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, and you see that, you say to yourself, okay, my client's not signed. If God forbid he suffers an injury, you know, can I really trust the Giants to do right by him or are they going to screw him? So I wonder if maybe that was part of the thinking and they they decided, okay, you know what? It's only June or, or you know, actually when they started, it was late May. It's late May, early June. It's not going to hurt him if he, if he misses a, you know, a couple practices here and there. So they, if you notice, he didn't get on the field until after he signed his contract. And with me, you know, I was like surprised that his contract wasn't signed earlier on that Friday, that, which was the last OTA before the uh, mandatory minicamp. It was signed later in the day. And again, that could be due to a hold up and, you know, the terms and just ironing out some fun, you know, last minute wrinkles and stuff like that. So that part did bother me a little bit, but I, I'm playing devil's advocate and I think they were just trying to, to play it safe with the kid. Now, the shoe incident, that I don't put on the kid. Um, look, I've had blisters on my feet from ill-fitting shoe wear, and I know how painful they, they can be and how they change your gait and, and force you to walk a different way. So I don't blame that on him. I obviously don't blame him, you know, for, for having to leave, you know, or be excused from practice if he had a family emergency. Apparently, you know, Joe Judge was fine with it, and, and that's all you need to know about that. The slipping part of it, um, that I'm not going to say that bothered me as much either. Again, the thing with him is they need this kid. They need him in September. And if he slipped and came up, you know, funny and they weren't happy with how he was moving after that, better be safe now 
than to have him out there running around and God forbid if he has something, now he's aggravated it. So I kind of see the, you know, I went underneath the layers a little bit. The only thing about his spring that bothered me was the timing of the signing of the contract, why it wasn't signed before the the OTA as opposed to afterwards. But again, it could just be details. You know, the other thing that that caught my attention the other day, Patty, was when we were speaking to special teams coordinator Thomas McGahee, and and he was asked a lot of questions about Tony, who was a very successful especially punt returner at at Florida and 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 T-Mac talked a lot about how electric he is and how and 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 the things that he can do with the ball in his hands and but the the thing that really caught my attention and maybe this is true of all rookies of all really young players guys that come to a team for the first time but you know T-Mac was was upfront about the fact that that Kadarius Tony needs to learn how to be a professional and gain the trust of his teammates. And and you know, did you did 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 his did McGahee bringing that up? You know, did that did did that get your attention at all, or did you see that as just sort of you know a, a normal kind of expectation for a, a rookie coming into the NFL? I thought that was kind of normal. I mean, it's really true. A lot of rookies coming in don't know how to be a professional because remember, they've been a student athlete. They haven't gotten really paid for, you know, for their, their participation in college sports. Now you're no longer just playing football for fun. It is your job. You are getting a paycheck for it. So it's kind of like, and and this is probably not a good comparison, but it's kind of like the, the, uh, person who writes for a hobby and then says, oh, you know what, I'm going to, I want to work for the New York Times or some, you know, really prestigious newspaper and and be a professional and be paid for it. Well, you're not going to start at the top. You're going to have to start at the bottom and work your way up and you're going to have to learn, you know, what it takes to structure a story that's that, that meets the editorial guidelines, deadlines, time management, all that stuff. And that's all stuff you don't really learn until you start doing it. So, you know, it, I know that's not the best comparison in the world, but it's one that kind of comes to, to mind and, and with us being writers and everything like that. The point is, is, you know, Tony, very few rookies come into the NFL where they are fully NFL ready. And I'm talking in terms of skill. I'm talking in terms of maturity, uh, work ethic, just everything that they need to know to be successful in the NFL. So McGahee's comments really didn't bother me. I, I, I don't see any, you know, if he's saying this in week 16 of the season, then then that bothers me, but not not after, you know, a couple weeks or so. All right. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about Joe Judge saying that, no rookie that he's ever really dealt with is is truly NFL ready and truly understands what they're in for. Uh, so so yeah, that that's probably not uh, not anything to to pay or to to put too much emphasis on. Yeah, I, I I don't think it is. I mean, again, let's see what happens with training camp. Now, if he starts missing practices, um, if he starts dogging it. If he starts, you know, doing stupid stuff, then we got a problem. All right, Patty, let's talk. Uh, let's let's turn our attention to the quarterback, to the guy that everyone says that 
that this season more or less revolves around. You know, the Giants have have we know the Giants have have done everything that they can this offseason to set Daniel Jones up for success. They've added a lot of weapons, Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay. They you know, they changed they added Kyle Rudolph. They changed the coaching structure, you know, along the offensive line. They've done you know and they've they've upgraded the defense as well. So Things are are set up as well as they can be set up. I think you know at this point, um, especially if Saquon Barkley returns, uh, you know, in, in a in a healthy, you know, solid manner. Um, my question for you, yeah, I have written a number of times this year that that nothing we were going to see in the spring, in shorts and t-shirts, nothing we were going to see in the spring would really tell us. You know, whether Daniel Jones was going to take that leap in, in his third year that we're just going to have to wait and see in September. I'm just curious what you thought of what you have seen from Daniel Jones this spring and, and what you've heard from him in the various times that we've had a chance to talk to him. You know, have, have you in your own mind gotten any hints as to, as to what you think year three will be like for Jones? Well, I mean, the one thing we can definitely, I think, agree on is that he's been working his tail off. He hasn't been, you know, sitting back and, you know, globe trotting around the world and, and doing all the stupid stuff that some young athletes tend to do. I, th- I think that much we can say. Um, Daniel Jones, you know, he did not have all of his receiving weapons um Throughout the spring, Kyle Rudolph is, is rehabbing from, um, foot surgery. John Ross has something going on. We don't know what it is. So he wasn't able to get on the field. Kadarius Tony didn't get on the field until late. Um, Saquon Barkley is still rehabbing. So, you know, we don't know where he's at. Um, so, but you know, the good news is, is, you know, you saw Kenny Galladay every chance he got, he was catching passes from Daniel Jones, whether it was just a soft toss or, you know, actually running routes and, and um, you know, catching the passes and whatnot. With Daniel, the big thing for me is his decision-making, how quickly he drops back, gets set, makes his reads, and gets the ball out of his hands. Now, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see him drop back and then, oh my God, he's got happy feet. And then he takes off when, if he had just been a little bit more patient, um, and let something develop, he could have, you know, thrown the ball down the field. On the flip side, I don't want to see him standing there dancing around and he's looking, 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 looking. And, and, you know, now he's getting sacked because, you know, you were, you were with me when I did this and I wrote this for Giants Country. I decided to put a stopwatch on him. Um, on one particular series and I wanted to see if he was getting the ball out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less and the method I used was I, I didn't do it from the time the ball was snapped I waited until he dropped back because obviously if he's doing a three-step drop versus a seven-step drop it's a little extra time so I waited till he finished his drop back and then I clicked the, the stop button the uh, start button and I wanted to see how often he was getting the ball out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less and I think there was about six or seven plays I timed 
And four of them, at least four of them, he was holding on to the ball over 2.5 seconds. In some cases, three seconds, four seconds. And I'm sitting there going, come on, Daniel, you got to do better than that. So that's the thing I was looking at. And, you know, especially considering there was no pass rush, there was no threat of him getting hit. You know, and you and I were talking about it and you said, well, you know, sometimes it's the spring. So maybe he's just waiting for it to develop so he can get the throw in. And, you know, that's possible. But that's been his problem since the day he walked in the doors is that making that quick read. And I know, you know, Mark Schofield has written about it for you. Mark Schofield has been on my show and talked about that. Tony Rassiopi has talked about that. And we saw it. In, in the practices in the mandatory minicamp. So that's where I'm looking for Daniel Jones to really take that next step. Yeah, it's, uh, you would like to see him make those quick decisions, you know, in the seven on seven drills and just get the ball out. And it, it, I do think sometimes it might be the setting that, that, that causes that delay, but you would like to see him get in the habit of, of catching the ball making a decision and going with it. Yeah, I mean, even if it is the setting, Ed, you know, you can't use that as an excuse. You've got to practice the way you would play. You can't say, oh, okay, I'm not going to get hit, so I've got all day to throw the ball. You can't do that because if you don't start, you know, working on speeding up that clock in your head, you're never going to do it. You know, how how do you expect to do it in a game? Exactly, Patty. And so much is riding on, on Daniel this year. Uh, you know, we hope that, uh, that the turnovers you know, decrease and that the decision making gets a little bit sharper. And maybe we will see, I think we'll get a better read on that in, uh, in training camp. You know, one thing that people need to know, and, and I meant to mention this at the top of the show, one of the things that we try to do a lot of times, I know you try to do this, I try to do this. We go through the, the, the OTAs and the mandatory mini camp and we try to identify, you know, standout players and guys who maybe put themselves in position to, to get a longer look, you know, when it comes to training camp and the way that this particular mini camp was set up, there was really no competition. You know, guys were uh, defensive backs were shadowing wide receivers, not competing with them at the catch point. You know, in any way, shape, or form, there was really no blocking, no real pass rush, no just no competition in any any real form. So, so you can't really come away and say, well, player A, B, and C were real standouts and put themselves in position to make the roster. So I, I think when you look for competition, we're going to have to wait for training camp to find that. Yeah, and that was always Joe Judge's plan, you know, and I and I actually wrote that in my training camp preview. I said jobs are not going to be won or lost in early June, nor are roster decisions going to necessarily be made in early June. Now, you know, with that said, what you could look at, and, and it wasn't always feasible to do that because a lot of times they worked on the – far end of the fields, which was way out of our, our normal um, vision site, unless you had binoculars, you could look at technique, you know, if you know what to look for. Um, you know, Evan Ingram, for example, Mr. Dropsy last year, 
I don't think I saw Evan Ingram drop a, a single pass, which I was like, okay, that's good. You know, and then what were they asking Evan Ingram to run? Was, were, were they asking him to stop and turn around and run those Y stick options? Or were they asking him to run, you know, uh, hit, hit the, were they asking the quarterback to hit him on the move, you know, the way he, they should be. So you could, you could tell little things like that. You could also tell, you know, the offensive line, you couldn't really tell because the pads got to go on. And same thing with the defensive line. But we did see a few interesting um, alignments on defense. Um, the offensive line, I thought, in terms of how they were moving in their drills, they were moving in unison. And I wrote about that, commenting that um, they looked like a choreographed unit as opposed to, you know, one guy was a split second ahead of the other th- four on, on the line, you know, when the ball is snapped. So there, there were little tiny things that if you were tuned in, you could pick up. Um, but that said, you're right. You're, you're not going to sit here and say, for example, oh, CJ Board is going to win a roster spot, you know, at receiver. Or, you know, uh, Isaac Yadam is going to get cut at cornerback because that's not what the point of this camp was. This camp was to get them moving around assess where they are fundamental wise and also to kind of see them or give them an opportunity to put into play the stuff that they learned in the classroom regarding the playbook, any new wrinkles, any new plays that they might have drawn up because, you know, you're not going to know unless you actually get out there on the grass and run this stuff. And and they weren't able to do that last year and this year they were. All right, Patty, let's do this. Let's take a short break here for a word from our SB Nation sponsors. When we come back, we'll continue with our Friday Five. A couple more topics to hit uh, before we uh, before we call it a show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. Ed Valentine with you, talking with Patricia Trena of Giants Country and Locked On Giants and Patty, as we continue our, our Friday Five sort of uh, review of minicamp, have to talk about Saquon Barkley. We got our first chance, you know, of this off season to talk to Saquon. First chance, I think, that that we might have had to talk to Saquon since he, you know, since he got hurt. I I don't remember exactly if we really got a chance to to speak with him, you know, late last year at all. But uh, you know, Saquon was very. He, he didn't want to be pinned down on a timetable. He didn't want to be pinned down on whether he would be a full go on week one or whether he would, whether he would be able to practice, you know, much in training camp or, or how any of that goes or the state of his rehab and it, any of that stuff. And, and for me, you know, some people might have been alarmed by some of that. For me, I, I wasn't. Why would he want to be pinned down? You know, he, he, he doesn't know he's never been through this before. It, it didn't alarm me at all, you know, to hear him talk like that. And the other thing that I, that I want to say about Barkley is I fully expect the Giants to ease him in. I don't expect to see him, well, I, week one, 
you know, against the Denver Broncos getting 25 to 30 touches. You know, he may be out there. He'll get some work. But I, I, I don't expect to see the Giants, you know, trying to get the ball to him 30 times a game, you know, right away in week one. Just just your thoughts on what we heard from uh, from Saquon the other day. Well, first off, Ed, I agree with you. Um, and I've been saying this now for, for months that I would be surprised if Saquon Barkley is at 100% to start the season. Matter of fact, I could see a scenario where Barkley maybe even starts training camp on PUP. And, you know, I know that's going to cause a lot of panic amongst people. But remember, if you start training camp on PUP, all that means is that you didn't pass the physical and that you are still active. It doesn't mean that, okay, he's automatically gone for six weeks. That's when if you're on pup at the start of the season that's when you're gone for six weeks but during training camp you can come off a pup anytime once you once you pass a physical um somebody had written to me and said oh well why can't they just put Saquon on on ir to start you know training camp i'm like it doesn't work that way ir comes into to effect once a player passes a physical and then gets injured so just a little bit of, of clarity there but as far as what Saquon said I agree with you, you know, he does, he's never been through this before and he's got to kind of see how this, this all, uh, plays out. That said, if you notice Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman and John Mara, when they all spoke to us at various points during the year, they didn't commit to a date either. And there's a, I think there's a reason for that besides the fact that they don't know. Why pin that on the kid and create pressure? So in other words, if Joe Judge had said, we expect to have Saquon for the start of training camp. And that Saquon is, is very much, you know, he's a guy who reads social media, I think. He's a guy who is on top of what's being said about him. So if he sees his head coach say that, who's to say he doesn't think to himself, oh, my God, coach is expecting me for the start of training camp. Maybe he got that from the doctors and the doctors aren't telling me. So now I've got to push myself. And then he he goes and he pushes himself and then, God forbid, he has a setback. So I think the way the Giants are handling not just Saquon's injury, but the other injuries that they have to the other players, I think it's smart. It takes away the neat, you know, pressure. It takes away the temptation to take shortcuts and not go through the process. And I think in the long run, it's going to benefit Saquon. And I just want to remind people, this is going to be a 17 game season, the longest season you know, that, that NFL players ha- have ever gone through. And it's really not, it, it's really not about, you know, beating a guy up from week one. So it, it, it's a process and, and the Giants want as much as they can get for the duration of the season from Saquon. And, and I think they're going to be as cautious as they can about, uh, about bringing him back. Absolutely. And it makes sense. You know, you, you raise a good point there. You want Saquon for down the stretch. You want him in the middle part of the season when the team is hopefully hitting its stride. You want him for the end of the season when the playoff race shapes up. And, you know, then if you're in the playoffs, obviously you want him then. If you don't have him at full strength or at all for the first two, three games. Is that really going to matter? I mean, go back to what Dave Gettleman said when, when um, we spoke to him. I think it was after free agency we spoke with him, and he mentioned Devonta Booker. 
And what did he say about Devonta Booker? He said Devonta Booker can be a every down back for them. And right then and there, it clicked him. You know, in, in my head, I'm saying to myself, they're not expecting Saquon to be a hundred percent right off the bat. So that's why they went and got Devonta Booker, a guy they feel can be an every down back. And I would not be surprised. And also, if you look at how Devonta Booker's contract is set up, I believe he has playtime incentives and rushing incentives. And I always tell people, if you look at the, the details of a person's contract, a player's contract, you can pretty much get an idea of what the plan is for that individual. And if, if, if in this case, you know, there's another player involved, which, which there is, Saquon and his status being up in the air, that also gives you a little bit of a hint as to, okay, you know what, maybe Saquon might not be 100% to start the season if he's even ready at all. All right, Patty, another topic I wanted to hit that seemed to come up over and over with various players that we spoke to and and with Patrick Graham when we spoke to him is the depth that the Giants have in the secondary. There were a lot of questions about you know, to, to different guys, whether they're worried about how they were going to get on the field and questions to Patrick Graham about how he was going to utilize all of the, the various pieces that he has. And, and, and I was kind of shaking my head because I'm thinking, you know, having depth is a good thing. Like Patrick Graham said, I love having good players. And to me, having a lot of good players or having, you know, having, players and trying to figure out how all the pieces fit together that that's a good thing and and to me you know sometimes I thought that that the questions were like well this is a problem because you've got more guys than you can use and and I just don't see it that way I see it as you know we'll go through training camp in a couple of spots the you know the best guys will play and and if somebody gets hurt you have depth and 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 Patrick Graham is a really really smart, really creative defensive coordinator. Yeah, I trust that he'll find the the, the best way to use these these the players that he's got. Uh, I I don't see the the amount of players that they have in the secondary a, a, as a problem at all. I'm just curious yeah. if you if you you know I'm just curious if if you see it that way as well. No, not at all. I mean, goodness, if you if you have injuries in your defensive secondary don't don't you want to have extra guys back there i mean and and then just look at what happened last year you know the giants had numbers so, you know sometimes it's not about quality i mean i'm sorry it's not about quantity it's about quality i think this year the giants have both i think they have quantity and quality and you know the other thing is is the last thing you want to have happen if you were a offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator is you don't want to put a personnel package out there on the field and now everybody knows what you're going to run because hey they've done their homework and they know that player a can only do this and player b can only do that and now it becomes pretty easy to figure out what what you're going to do they have not only do they have so many you know players in the defensive secondary but they're all versatile enough to do different things so you could conceivably see if they all stay healthy, Patrick Graham will probably run new looks every week because he's that creative and, 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 you know, just I'm excited about it. I can just imagine what he must be feeling because 
it's a problem that every coach wishes he had to have, you know, all these guys and, you know, all these guys that can do different things. Now, the question is, is are they going to be able to fit them all on the roster? You can't have um, 11 or 12 defensive backs on your roster. You have to allow for spots to the other, you know, positions. So who are they going to keep? And then who maybe are they going to put on the practice squad? Because, you know, we, the practice squad rules, I think, are going to be the same as they were last year. So it's a very interesting puzzle. And I think it's going to be one of the the um, most interesting battles of training camp. And, hey, how nice is it to see that the defensive backfield is now the strength of this team? For years, it was the defensive line. Now the backfield has got it. It's interesting, and, and and you know who's going to win between Logan Ryan and and uh, and Patrick Graham. I mean, Logan Ryan wants eleven DBs on the field. Patrick Graham wants eleven defensive tackles. I don't know. I got a I got a kick out of that little back and forth the other day. Yeah, well, that just goes to show you about the camaraderie they all have. You know, they all love uh, Patrick Graham, and, the, and and you know, look, he's he's a very likable guy. I like Patrick Graham too. I, I always remember the first exchange I had with him when he heard my name was Patty, and he thought that they were they were calling him Patty because I guess he, that was one of his nicknames at some point. So I thought that was kind of cute. But but Patrick's really, you know, he's a good dude, and and you could see the players love him. They love playing for him. You know, they just they can't say enough good things about him. And what I like about Graham and the coaching staff in general is that it's not a dictatorship. They they promote a sense of buy in for all the players. Even Joe Judge does this. It's like, okay, guys, we've got to go to the West Coast. Do you think we should leave at nine o'clock or should we leave at noon? Little details like that. And he gets that feedback and he makes informed decisions based on that rather than what he thinks the players wants. All right, Patty, last thing here as we roll through our, our Friday Five reviewing Giants minicamp. The the off-season program is basically over. Yes, the Giants have a couple of uh, a couple of OTAs on Monday and Tuesday that are closed to the media, but you know, but basically the the off-season is over for the Giants. It's over in terms of the media at least cuz we, you know, we won't see those practices. Um and and the real question is as we as we look toward training camp as we look toward the 2021 season you know is there a reason for optimism or you know or are you pessimistic and and for me i'm optimistic and i'm optimistic about this giants team for you know partially because of one of the reasons you already mentioned i think the camaraderie that we see this is a team that that is pretty close together. This is a team that seems to fit well together personality-wise. I do like this coaching staff. I like the way that this coaching staff relates to players and works with players, and I think there's quality on this coaching staff. I like the additions that the Giants have made. You know, that said, the you know when you when you look ahead. The, the Washington football team got better. The Dallas Cowboys got better. So you, you can never tell what will happen, you know. But but for me, I think a lot of what the off season has brought leaves me optimistic that the Giants are pointed in the right direction. And that's that's so easy to say at this time of the year, and and, and so many things can go wrong once the season starts. But I think that it's been a good off season for the Giants 
that that should leave fans feeling pretty good about the upcoming season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, unless injuries wipe this team out, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. They've got talent. I mean, when I go down the list of position units, there's really not a whole lot that I sit there and say, oh, my God, what are they going to do? You, you kind of get an idea as to how this coaching staff works, you know, from last year. So you have an idea how they think and how they're going to work things. And, um, you know, there's going to be plenty of competition. Everybody now is in year two of the system, except for the the new guys. And, and, and it's a lot easier to acclimate a, a handful of new guys into a system as opposed to the whole team. So the expectations, rightfully so, are sky high. I mean, when you consider, all right, six and ten is not an impressive record. I get that. But the Giants at, at no point last year could you say, oh, they gave up. Or, oh, they were overmatched. They're, you know, they're not in, they're, they're not in it. I mean, they were in it right down to the end. And I get it. The, the NFC East was bad last year. I get it. But still, somebody had to win it. And, you know, they didn't fall apart. You know, you look at Dallas last year. Dallas had legitimate struggles. They had a historically bad defense. You look at the Eagles. The Eagles couldn't get out of their own way. They had all kinds of problems. And then you look at the Giants in Washington, and those were two teams that, despite the record, despite the fact that they didn't finish, you know, 500 or better, they were competitive right down to the end. And I just think, you know, now that we're – this past off season was more of a, a sense of normalcy. You're going to see, hopefully, a better quality of play, not just from the Giants, but across the board, you know, that across the NFL. Um, and for the Giants, you're right. This year, they have to step up. They have to, they have to make that push because John Mara is not going to tolerate another losing season. He just isn't. And if this team doesn't reach its potential and fails spectacularly, you're going to see head rolls at the end of the year. Yes, you are, Patty. And, uh, you know, hopefully we don't get to that point. Hopefully, uh, you know, it would be nice to, it would be nice to, to write about a, about a good quality competitive team for 17 weeks that that makes the playoffs and have a few extra football games to to write about as well so we'll we'll cross our fingers in and see what happens but giants fans with that said that's our show for today patty thank you as always for uh for, for coming on and hopefully we'll talk to you a couple more times through the summer absolutely at any time and uh giants fans thank you as always Please uh, remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.